Chapter Seven of the House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Attack. I spent some time puzzling how to strengthen the study door. Finally, I went down to the kitchen and, with some trouble, brought up several heavy pieces of timber. These I wedged up slantwise against it from the floor, nailing them top and bottom. For half an hour, I worked hard and at last got it shored to my mind. Then, feeling easier, I resumed my coat, which I had laid aside, and proceeded to attend to one or two matters before returning to the tower. It was whilst thus employed that I heard a fumbling at the door, and the latch was tried. Keeping silence, I waited. Soon I heard several of the creatures outside. They were grunting to one another softly. Then for a minute there was quietness. Suddenly there sounded a quick low grunt, and the door creaked under a tremendous pressure. It would have burst inward but for the supports I had placed. The strain ceased as quickly as it had begun, and there was more talk. Presently one of the things squealed softly, and I heard the sound of others approaching. There was a short confabulation, then again silence, and I realized that they had called several more to assist. Feeling that now was the supreme moment— I stood ready with my rifle presented. If the door gave, I would at least slay as many as possible. Again came the low signal, and once more the door cracked under a huge force. For a minute, perhaps, the pressure was kept up, and I waited, nervously, expecting each moment to see the door come down with a crash. But no, the struts held, and the attempt proved abortive. Then followed more of their horrible grunting talk and whilst it lasted I thought I distinguished the noise of fresh arrivals. After a long discussion, during which the door was several times shaken, they became quiet once more, and I knew that they were going to make a third attempt to break it down. I was almost in despair. The props had been severely tried in the two previous attacks, and I was sorely afraid that this would prove too much for them. At that moment, like an inspiration, a thought flashed into my troubled brain. Instantly, for it was no time to hesitate, I ran from the room and up stair after stair. This time it was not to one of the towers that I went, but out onto the flat, leaded roof itself. Once there I raced across to the parapet that walls it round and looked down. As I did so I heard the short, grunted signal, and even up there caught the crying of the door under the assault. There was not a moment to lose, and leaning over I aimed quickly and fired. The report rang sharply, and almost blending with it came the loud splud of the bullet striking its mark. From below rose a shrill wail, and the door ceased its groaning. Then, as I took my weight from off the parapet, a huge piece of the stone coping slid from under me and fell with a crash among the disorganized throng beneath. Several horrible shrieks quavered through the night air, and then I heard a sound of scampering feet. Cautiously... I looked over. In the moonlight I could see the great coping stone lying right across the threshold of the door. I thought I saw something under it, several things, white, but I could not be sure. And so a few minutes passed. As I stared I saw something come round out of the shadow of the house. It was one of the things. It went up to the stone silently and bent down. I was unable to see what it did. In a minute it stood up. It had something in its talons which it put to its mouth and 
tore at. For the moment I did not realize. Then, slowly I comprehended, the thing was stooping again. It was horrible. I started to load my rifle. When I looked again, the monster was tugging at the stone, moving it to one side. I leant the rifle on the coping and pulled the trigger. The brute collapsed on its face and kicked slightly. Simultaneously, almost with the report, I heard another sound, that of breaking glass. Waiting only to recharge my weapon, I ran from the roof and down the first two flights of stairs. Here I paused to listen. As I did so, there came another tinkle of falling glass. It appeared to come from the floor below. Excitedly, I sprang down the steps and, guided by the rattle of the window-sash, reached the door of one of the empty bedrooms at the back of the house. I thrust it open. The room was but dimly illuminated by the moonlight, most of the light being blotted out by moving figures at the window. Even as I stood, one crawled through into the room. Leveling my weapon, I fired point-blank at it, filling the room with a deafening bang. When the smoke cleared, I saw that the room was empty and the window free. The room was much lighter. The night air blew in coldly through the shattered panes. Down below in the night I could hear a soft moaning and a confused murmur of swine voices. Stepping to one side of the window, I reloaded and then stood there waiting. Presently I heard a scuffling noise. From where I stood in the shadow I could see without being seen. Nearer came the sounds, and then I saw something come up above the sill and clutch at the broken window frame. It caught a piece of the woodwork, and now I could make out that it was a hand and arm. A moment later the face of one of the swine creatures rose into view. Then, before I could use my rifle or do anything, there came a sharp crack, crack, and the window frame gave way under the weight of the thing. Next instant a squashing thud and a loud outcry told me that it had fallen to the ground. With a savage hope that it had been killed, I went to the window. The moon had gone behind a cloud so that I could see nothing, though a steady hum of jabbering just beneath where I stood indicated that there were several more of the brutes close at hand. As I stood there, looking down, I marveled how it had been possible for the creatures to climb so far, for the wall is comparatively smooth, while the distance to the ground must be at least eighty feet. All at once, as I bent, peering, I saw something indistinctly that cut the gray shadow of the house-side with a black line. It passed the window to the left, at a distance of about two feet. Then I remembered that it was a gutter-pipe that had been put there some years ago to carry off the rain-water. I had forgotten about it. I could see now how the creatures had managed to reach the window. Even as the solution came to me I heard a faint slithering, scratching noise, and I knew that another of the brutes was coming. I waited some odd moments, then leant out of the window and felt the pipe. To my delight I found that it was quite loose, and I managed, using the rifle-barrel as a crowbar, to lever it out from the wall. I worked quickly. Then, taking hold with both hands, I wrenched the whole concern away and hurled it down, with the thing still clinging to it into the garden. For a few moments longer I waited there listening but after the first general outcry I heard nothing. I knew now that there was no more reason to fear an attack from this quarter. I had removed the only means of reaching the window, and as none of the other windows had any adjacent water-pipes to tempt the climbing powers of the monsters, 
I began to feel more confident of escaping their clutches. Leaving the room, I made my way down to the study. I was anxious to see how the door had withstood the test of that last assault. Entering, I lit two of the candles and then turned to the door. One of the large props had been displaced, and on that side the door had been forced inward some six inches. It was providential that I had managed to drive the brutes away just when I did. And that coping stone! I wondered vaguely how I had managed to dislodge it. I had not noticed it loose as I took my shot, and then as I stood up it had slipped away from beneath me. I felt that I owed the dismissal of the attacking force more to its timely fall than to my rifle. Then the thought came that I had better seize this chance to shore up the door again. It was evident that the creatures had not returned since the fall of the coping stone, but who was to say how long they would keep away? There and then I set to at repairing the door, working hard and anxiously. First I went down to the basement and, rummaging round, found several pieces of heavy oak planking. With these I returned to the study, and having removed the props, placed the planks up against the door. Then I nailed the heads of the struts to these, and driving them well home at the bottoms, nailed them again there. Thus I made the door stronger than ever, for now it was solid with the backing of boards and wood, I felt convinced stand a heavier pressure than hitherto without giving way. After that I lit the lamp which I had brought from the kitchen, and went down to have a look at the lower windows. Now that I had seen an instance of the strength the creatures possessed, I felt considerable anxiety about the windows on the ground floor, in spite of the fact that they were so strongly barred. I went first to the buttery, having a vivid remembrance of my late adventure there. The place was chilly, and the wind, soughing in through the broken glass, produced an eerie note. Apart from the general air of dismalness, the place was as I had left it the night before. Going up to the window, I examined the bars closely, noting as I did so their comfortable thickness. Still, as I looked more intently, it seemed to me that the middle bar was bent slightly from the straight. Yet it was but trifling, and it might have been so for years. I had never before noticed them particularly. I put my hand through the broken window and shook the bar. It was as firm as a rock. Perhaps the creatures had tried to start it, and finding it beyond their power ceased from the effort. After that I went round to each of the windows in turn, examining them with careful attention. But nowhere else could I trace anything to show that there had been any tampering. Having finished my survey, I went back to the study and poured myself out a little brandy, then to the tower to watch. End of chapter 7 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia